Hi, everybody. My name is Alex Barthet. I am a board-certified construction lawyer. Uh, I work in downtown. We serve construction clients throughout the state of Florida. And today we're going to talk about the three things you can do to improve your credit and collection process as a way to start off this year. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, come on. There we go. Uh, let's go through the agenda of what we're going to go over today. <clears throat> First, we're going to talk about how to shore up the basics. Uh, I'm sure lots of you have some processes in place. Let me tell you what I see as a construction lawyer helping folks in construction collect their debts, what I see as their uh, best and worst practices. Um, then we'll talk about why you should always, always protect your interests, and we'll talk about different ways to do it, some of them that you may not have thought of or thought that it was possible for you to do, and I'll explain why they are. Then uh, I'll tell you why you need to be a bulldog, a reasonable bulldog, but a bulldog nonetheless to collect the, the money that's owed to you. So let's go ahead and get started. So let's talk about the basics. Um, so first, you want to make sure that your agreement that you have with your customer is in writing. I know this sounds obvious. Uh, we had uh, recently a new client come to us, and he uh, uh, owns a... Uh, plumbing supply house. He sells pipes and fixtures. Um, and his credit agreement was literally a form that the customer filled out. Now, this, this client does millions of dollars in sales. And it was just a, a simple uh, fill-in-the-blank agreement for them to run some basic credit information. No real terms and conditions of consequence. Um, so, Look at the process that you have in place. Make sure you get the agreement between you and your customer in writing. Um, that can be a proposal. It can be an estimate. If you're in the supply business, it would be typically a credit application. But you want to make sure that it includes your terms, not their terms. Um, and where we see the your terms versus their terms come into play is if people issue purchase orders to you. So if you receive a purchase order from your customer, that purchase order may reflect uh, terms and conditions either on the document itself or maybe uh, what we're seeing more and more of is a reference to a website, and that website has a series of terms and conditions. So it may say something like all the terms and conditions located at, at www.xyz company.com forward slash purchase order terms, um, all of those terms and conditions are incorporated into this document. When you either sign the purchase order or fill the purchase order, the law will imply that you have accepted those terms and conditions by filling the purchase order. So you need to be very careful about what are the terms and conditions that govern your transaction. We see this as a problem sometimes with our uh, supply house customers. Um, so they'll go through the effort of getting it in writing, have a credit app with terms and conditions, and then they are routinely filling from certain customers purchase orders that have terms and conditions that are contrary to their terms and conditions in their uh, credit application. The single number one uh, term and condition that is most contentious is obviously pay when paid. So a supply house uh, will almost never agree to terms uh, for payment that say pay when paid. Um, but if they fill a purchase order and that purchase order says, I, uh, plumber, am going to pay you supply house 
only when I get paid, and that's in my purchase order, uh, you may have agreed to that by filling the purchase order. So make sure that you understand for every transaction and your team understands uh, that you want your terms to govern and that you want to avoid their terms from creeping into your deal. Um, and purchase orders are one way that, that someone can impose their terms upon you. So what are some of the terms that are uh, at issue? Obviously payment. Um, when are you going to get paid? We talked briefly about the pay when paid issue. Interest. If someone owes you money uh, in Florida, the law is that if the agreement says nothing about interest, you get the legal rate. Uh, and the current legal rate, I think, is four and three quarters percent. It changes every few months. Um, and it's uh, a statewide rate that applies. Obviously, if you have a written agreement, you want to have a higher rate of interest. Uh, most agreements uh, allow or state the highest rate of interest, which is 18%. Um, you can only do that if you have a written agreement that says that you're entitled to 18%. Recovering collection costs. You want to make sure that if you have to hire a lawyer that uh, to collect the debt, that the fees and costs associated with that collection effort can be reimbursed to you. You can only do that uh, if you have that term uh, of the recovery of collection costs in your written agreement. You can also get it if you have a lien or bond claim. But if we're talking about the document itself, a breach of contract claim, it has to be in that document. Uh, warranty. What warranty are you providing? Um, you know, many supply houses, for example, they only have, uh, they like to try to pass on to the customer only the warranty of the manufacturer. So to make that enforceable in Florida, you need to say that in the warranty provision in your credit application. Um, indemnity uh, means the right to look to somebody else to recover for any losses. You need to have that term in your agreement. That would be nice. Access to the site and time for performance or any delays. You'd like to be able to say, well, if something held me up on the job or I couldn't deliver materials on time because I didn't have access to the site, that that's not my fault. Having those terms and conditions in your agreement will protect you. So um, what you need to do is you need to audit your existing accounts and, and see who has old terms, who has no terms, um, and then have a process in place to start the new year off with a new agreement. Um, so have a, a lawyer uh, or your staff review the document that is the basis of your of your uh, understanding between you and your customers. Um, when's the last time it was updated? Uh, there's probably incidents that have occurred that that caused you to get burned. Um, have you modified your agreement to account for those issues? Uh, we had a client, uh, and that client, uh, every time they had an issue, would update their terms and conditions to deal with that issue. Uh, and it would just be a kind of a living document, this, their, their terms and conditions in their agreement. Um, you should be doing the same thing. Uh, so audit your account, see who has a written agreement, um, who has an old agreement, update your current agreement, and then start fresh by uh, getting new clients to sign the new agreement and then making decisions on, who, on what old clients you're going to have sign agreements, uh, sign the new agreement. Let me give you one pro tip. And that is that sometimes it's better to have no contract 
than a contract with the other person's terms. As a subcontractor, this is often the case. So I'll give you a specific example. If you're a subcontractor on a project and you are uh, told to start on the job and as you're working, um, you're negotiating the contract, right? So they tell you, you know, you have to sign our contract uh, in order to uh, keep working, but you've already started. Um, and then when they hand you the contract, it, there's terms and conditions that you just don't agree to. Uh, you, what you need to be able to do is say, no, don't feel compelled to sign their document. We had a client who uh, was negotiating back and forth with a contractor. He was an electrician, and he, uh, he, he thought he was making progress in the negotiations. He was about 30% through the job at this point. And then the contractor said, look, if you want to pick up your next check, I need you to sign my contract. No, no changes whatsoever. Um, uh, had he come to us before that, my advice would have been, don't sign the agreement. You're better off either with no agreement or walk the walk off the job because at this point you just have a handshake agreement. There's no obligation for you to continue to perform. Lean the job for whatever you're owed and move on to the next job because the terms and conditions in the other side's agreement are so onerous that you should never sign them. Um, in this case, uh, unfortunately, he didn't. <clears throat> he felt compelled to sign the document to pick up his check. And that turned the tables, and now the contractor had a whole host of different contractual uh, reasons to, to really put the screws to him, um, and it, it eventually resulted in litigation. Um, so remember that sometimes it's better to walk away with no contract uh, than it is to try to accept their terms in the contract. Next. Cap the credit that you provide. Always limit your exposure by limiting the credit you decide to give to your customer. Don't be afraid to cut your customer off. So if you've, if you've internally decided that you're going to give a, a $15,000 worth of credit to somebody um, and now they've run up $15,000 worth of credit, don't be afraid to say, nope, we are not going to extend any more credit. If you want more credit, uh, if you, if you want to continue to buy, you need to pay down the, the balance. And they'll say, well, I can't. I haven't been paid. Well, then I guess you're not getting any more materials. Um, understand that extending additional credit has to be done carefully because your customer will almost always agree to take as much credit as you're willing to give um, because it benefits them uh, with very little risk to them. So use the cap on your credit as a way to you do. You need to bill regularly. Um, if you don't send a bill, don't expect to be paid. Uh, and customers should be able to set their watch by how often you bill. Um, some supply houses bill uh, almost daily every time an order is made and then they send a monthly statement. Um, as a sub or a GC, you probably send uh, periodic payments, maybe the 25th of the month or at different stages of the project, whatever your agreement says or whatever your process is in the office, make sure you, that, 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 that that's solid and that the customer can count on the fact that they're going to get their bills. The other thing you need to be able to do is consider billing disputed amounts. This is a big issue for subcontractors, right? If I'm a sub and I've done work that is uh, constitutes a pending change order, right? So someone asked me to do some work. I don't have all the paperwork together. 
because I submitted a change order, hasn't been signed, I have to submit my pay request. The contractor says, well, I can't bill it because it hasn't been approved. Um, and in most instances, it all gets worked out in the end. But, but if there is any friction in the process, understand that you have to bill uh, the amounts that you believe are owed to you, even if they're disputed, uh, to support your legal position that you're entitled to be paid. So usually what we do is when a client comes to us and they're owed money, that, that amount um, many times includes amounts that have not yet been billed. And we tell them, okay, we'll put a lien together, but make sure that you generate a bill for all of the undisputed and disputed amounts. Send that out so that we can match up our lien that we're going to help you do uh, or a lawsuit that we have to file with a fully uh, and full and comprehensive bill that includes everything. Let's move on to the next point, which is protecting your interests. Um, always, always, always secure your right to payment. And we're going to run through the three best ways that you can secure your right to be paid. So number one is a personal guarantee. Um, a personal guarantee means that you have the right as the party extending credit to go after and recover the money that's owed to you, not just from your direct customer, which let's say is a plumber, but anybody that signed a personal guarantee. Um, uh, maybe it's a principal, maybe it's a shareholder, uh, the owner, um, whoever it is, but you need to get them to sign on the dotted line. And importantly, you need to get them to sign with no corporate designation. So the best personal guarantees that we help clients draft are effectively two parts, right? So the credit application has uh, the terms and conditions of the transaction that's signed by the company. So it could be signed by John Smith, president of ABC Plumbing. But then there's a separate section on the same document, and that's called the personal guarantee. And it has the personal guarantee terms and conditions, and it, ex it, it expressly states that this person that signing is guaranteeing the debt of the company. And that signature block says John Smith as an individual, um, that's who's guaranteeing the debt. Sometimes we have clients that try to be sneaky and they include as a line in the terms and conditions that you agree to personally guarantee the, the debt. And uh, that generally is not an enforceable personal guarantee. You have to break it apart. You have to get a signature of the guarantor if it's an individual with no uh, corporate designation with their signature. Very important. Next, joint check agreements. A, another great way to protect your right to be paid um, is to get someone else to agree to pay you uh, in addition to your customer. So let's express, let me tell you what a joint check is, and then I'll tell you what a joint check agreement is. A joint check is effectively a two-party check. It's a check in most instances made by uh, the contractor to, in my example, the plumber and the plumbing supply house. So the plumber uh, gets a check, and that check is, is, if you looked at the face of the check, it says ABC Plumbing and XYZ Plumbing Supply House. It's a two-party check. It has to be uh, endorsed by both parties to be 
negotiated with the bank. Um, so that's a joint check. A joint check agreement is an agreement in advance with the contractor or the subcontractor or the owner, whoever is going to be issuing the payment that you want to make sure that the check that gets issued comes always payable to you as the uh, customer and, and your customer. Um, that's a great way to ensure that you are getting uh, paid. Now, the, what you have to remember about joint check agreements is that if you sign the joint check agreement that's given to you by the contractor, in my example, it's going to be written in favor of the contractor. Um, and most joint check agreements that are written by contractors uh, to pay subs and their suppliers uh, have a lot of disclaimer language. It, it doesn't obligate them to continue to pay. They can cancel at any time. They have no liability whatsoever. Um, it's not a great security, uh, a way to protect you as the, uh, the, the party extending credit. So you would like to either modify their agreement or have a form joint check agreement in place ready to go so that you can say, look, it looks like a great job. We'd love to supply you or provide you uh, labor and materials on this job, but you know we don't feel comfortable with just our lien rights, which is the next item we'll talk to talk about. We need a joint check agreement. Here's our 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 corporate joint check agreement that we need signed by you and the contractor or the owner, whoever it is that's going to be issuing the joint check. Have that as a document in your portfolio of documents so that you are ready to go and give it to someone. Um, as part of your uh, collection process. Next, construction, lien, or bond claims. You absolutely positively need to make sure that you secure your lien rights. M Murphy's Law is that the, the job that you forget to secure your lien rights or you were convinced by your customer because he's a great customer not to secure your lien rights, that's the job where you're going to have lots of money that's owed and um, a contractor or owner that goes out of business. And you're going to say, oh, I wish I secured my lien rights. Don't let it slide ever. Don't make any exceptions. We preach to our uh, uh, clients all the time, have a process in your office that you can bank on that no matter what, any job over a certain amount of money, those jobs get noticed and that you have a process in place uh, to lean your jobs within the 90 days. So the general rule is no later than 45 days, the notice to owner must be served uh, upon the owner. Um, if the job is bonded, uh, you would serve what's called a notice to contractor no later than 45 days from your first work. And these, these are the absolute last days. So you should not be waiting this long you should be doing it well in advance, ideally right after you execute your contract or you start your work on the job. The next one is 90 days from your last work on the job. You need to record the claim of lien or serve your notice of non-payment. Again, these are the outside dates. There's no reason that you can't lien a job while you're still working on it uh, or send a notice of non-payment while you're still working on that job. Um, so you can do it when you're working on the job. You could do it on day eight after you send your bill, uh, day uh, 45, day 89. Um, the longer you wait, the more risk it creates. So try to do it sooner rather than later. 
And then the last step is no later than one year from your last work on the job for bond claims or one year from the recording date of the claim of lien. There's a slight di distinction between bonded jobs and non-bonded jobs on, on this last deadline. Uh, you need to file a lawsuit to preserve your rights. There's no such thing as re-recording the lien or sending a new notice of non-payment. Um, the only thing you can do is within that one year, you have to file a lawsuit to either foreclose on the lien or sue the surety. I would suggest that you shouldn't be waiting anywhere near the year. You should be pursuing it much, much sooner than that. Um, those are three great ways to protect your interest uh, in getting paid. Let me give you one last pro tip on the personal guarantee. Florida is what's called a debtor state, very debtor friendly. You need to make sure that if you really, really want some great security, that you get the husband and the wife to sign the guarantee. If, if uh, a credit application and then at the same time I sign a personal guarantee, but all of my personal assets are joint assets with my wife and I, then they are not touchable. Uh, by you. They are untouchable. So the only way you would get access to those joint assets uh, in, in most cases is if the guarantee is signed by the husband and the wife. It's not that it's bad just to get the husband or the wife, but if you really wanted real protection uh, for certain accounts, know that you need the husband and the wife to sign. So finally, let's talk about ways that you can be a bulldog, a reasonable bulldog, but a bulldog nonetheless. Contact the delinquent accounts often. Um, it's obvious, uh, but a lot of folks just don't like doing it. Uh, they feel uncomfortable. You need to do it verbally. You need to do it in writing. You can be nice but firm, but you have to do it. You should probably do it weekly and sometimes even several times a week for uh, those really stubborn accounts. Be prepared to uh, reject excuses um, and at the same time offer options. What other methods of payment? Maybe ideally you'd like to get a check, but you know what? They'll pay with a credit card. Uh, so to go ahead and take the credit card. Uh, so other methods of payment should be available uh, so that you can give your customer options to make payment. Maybe payment terms. Maybe they can pay $1,000 a week for five weeks and that will, that will uh, retire the debt. Be willing to offer those options. Maybe they can't even agree to a long-term payment plan or even a short-term payment plan, but what they can do is they can say, look, I'm, I've got $1,500, I can, I can give that to you now. Take it. As long as you're not giving up any more rights than the amount of money that you're getting, uh, there's no reason you should be rejecting partial payments. Reduce the debt. Instead of fighting over 10000 maybe you can only fight over 4000 um, So anytime anyone's willing to give you a partial payment uh, and you're not giving up any more rights than the amount of money that you're getting, you should be willing to accept it. And then you should always be willing to uh, sneak in some additional security as part of the uh, waiting process. So as an example, maybe you don't have a personal guarantee and someone owes you $50,000. You can say, look, I'm going to send this over to the lawyer for collection, but if you want to wait, you want me to hold off, I need you to sign a personal guarantee for the debt. So you didn't have a personal guarantee before. You're going to wait another month or two to get paid. 
but in exchange for that, try to get something. Even if it's not money, maybe you can get a personal guarantee. Maybe you have a personal guarantee with the husband, you can get the wife on if you agree to keep waiting. So keep in mind that you have different options uh, to get something uh, from the customer. And the squeaky wheel always gets the grease. So the more you hassle them, the more likely it is that you're going to move to the top of the line um, to get paid. Always be willing to resolve disputes quickly and in writing. Uh, maybe the work wasn't great. Maybe it arrived late. Maybe it arrived damaged. Um, do the best you can to resolve these issues as quickly as possible. It's always better to give a, a credit and get a prompt payment. But let me give you a pro tip about that. Don't just agree to give a credit. So uh, try to always condition your credits in exchange for a prompt payment. And you need to document that uh, agreement in writing. An email is fine, a text message. Um, so you would say something like, uh, thank you for uh, the phone call this afternoon. Uh, this would be an email that you would write. Thank you for the phone call this afternoon. Uh, as we agreed, we will reduce the $10,000 that, that you owe us to $9,000 uh, so long as we receive a check for the $9,000 by December 11th. Um, thank you very much. Now, what does that do? You're not giving up anything because if you don't give the check, if you don't get the money by the date, um, then the condition hasn't been satisfied. Uh, where we see clients make mistakes is they say, they have that conversation, they have an understanding that they're going to get a check, and what do they do? They issue a credit memo, and then they never get the check. And then they come to us and they say, well, I gave the guy a $5,000 credit because he said he was going to pay me, so uh, if I have to sue him, I want to sue him for everything. But there's no condition in the credit memo for this agreement to payment. So always condition the, the payment of a reduced amount uh, with a date certain for that payment. Uh, and I would suggest to you it's better to say um, a specific date on the calendar rather than five days or seven days or 30 days um, because then there's no ambiguity when you pick a date on the calendar. Uh, avoid evo emotional decision-making. Leave your emotions at the door. This is a business. Make business decisions. The clients that spend the most money with us as lawyers are the clients that get emo too emotionally involved in uh, being proven right, proving the other person wrong. Um, we, we counsel clients on a regular basis to uh, make rational business decisions, even if that means taking a little less. I would rather have a client have the certainty of a done deal um, and, than, than the uncertainty of a, a good legal case. Um, and then finally, don't delay in initiating any of the legal process. Um, the longer you wait to enforce your legal rights, the harder it is going to be to collect. People move to other jobs, maybe internally in your own company, the project manager on the other side who you think is going to support your position. Um, so uh, if you've tried everything you can to get paid and it still hasn't worked, you know, don't wait month after month after month. Uh, hire a lawyer and pursue the collection process aggr aggressively. The sooner you do it, the more likely you are to get paid.